Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to Design Huddle, a podcast for creative professionals looking to level up. This podcast is hosted by myself, Ryan Warner, a UX designer based in New York City, and my co-host, Brendan Gross, a digital strategist for Fortune 500s. This podcast is the intersection of design, business, people, and just possibly the next big idea. We interview designers, thought leaders, co-founders, influencers, and sometimes just our friends from Instagram. If you like design, the internet, or storytelling, this just might be your new favorite podcast. We have a ton of incredible episodes and content coming out soon, so please subscribe. And for now, let's dive in to today's episode of Design Huddle. Guys, you already know what it is. This is Design Huddle. This is a podcast where we talk about the best ways to get to the next level in your design career. We talk about everything from graphic design, product design, personal branding, tech trends, and interview with some of the top of the line thought leaders in the industry today. We are your hosts. My name is Brandon Gross. I'm a designer and digital strategist for Fortune 500s here with Ryan Warner, UX designer based in New York City. So... Guys, I'm super excited and really letting down what we're going to be getting into today. We're going to be talking with a very special guest about how he's been able to build an amazing career for himself as a creative director, brand strategist, and how he's really been able to become a very largely known mentor in the design community. We're going to really dig deep into the largest lessons he's learned on his journey to where he is today in his career. So sit back relax as we get some into some massive gem dropping today from his insights and experience in things that you guys can go take home today and start reverse engineering success so without further ado guys we're going to tell you guys a little bit give you guys a little bit of a taste of who we're talking with today and the amount of experience he has so let's get into this guys he's an award-winning creative director and has over a decade of experience in design and motion industry he's been working with top tier campaigns at some of los angeles's hottest design studios and agencies his clients include fortune 500 brands ranging from microsoft xbox to adidas he has had the pleasure of working with some amazing music artists such as coldplay tech companies and many many more and guys that's just the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. Just to showcase just how much of a badass he really is, his work has been featured in Fast Company, Creativity Inc., The Rolling Stones, The Wall Street Journal, and has been in film and design festivals around the world. Some of the biggest career highlights include award-winning interactive mu- music video, Inc. for Coldplay, and multiple campaigns for Xbox that were just outright divine. And finally... He's a well-known face and mentor in the design space. He speaks internationally at conferences such as TEDx, 
and regularly contributes to the well-known design educational channel called The Future on YouTube, where he creates educational content on pitching, design, and animation. So guys, please help me in welcoming to Design Huddle, creative director at Blind, and the chief content officer at The Future, Matthew Encina. Wow. What an intro. That is a crazy intro, man. Now you just set the bar so high, all of the audience is going to expect too much from me. <laughs> Thanks. I got to rewrite it, the uh, the humble version of my bio, so that uh, <laughs> the expectations aren't too high. <laughs> uh, Brendan always goes, he has to one-up it every single time by the like, 50th episode. He's going to be reading like, you know, like a Harry Potter series before he's done. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. I'm so happy to be here, guys. Likewise, yeah. My man. Thanks, Matt. Brandon, why don't you kick it off, and then I'll I, I got I got a burning question, but I'll, I'll let you go first. All right, awesome. So, Matthew, we really, you know, the number one thing, especially in the design community, and really, I look, you know, when I I follow you as well. I I was trying not to fangirl in the beginning of this call, as you already know, but one of the first things. <laughs> We would really love to kind of jump into is, you know, reverse engineering, really how you've gotten to where you are today, starting from your days at Art Center and all the way to where you are today, working with Fortune 500s and mentoring other designers. You know, what were the key things that really allowed you to progress to where you are today? You know, what is the number one tip for designers in, you know, for where they are today? And that's where you used to, you know, where you used to be. What is the number one thing in regards to whether it be habits, skills that have really allowed you to be where you're sitting now? What is the one thing that's helped you be, whether it be mindset or a technical skill or a soft skill that's helped you be able to be this awesome designer, mentor and uh, creative director? Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I had to boil it down to one thing, uh, it would have been hard for me to reflect on this personally. But uh, Chris Doe the founder of The Future and Blind, pointed this out to me yesterday when we were doing a live stream. He said, you know, the one thing that I like about you, Matthew, is that you are persistent. You will find one thing, and when you commit to doing it, you just go all in, and you are relentless at that. So because I heard that from him, that is kind of top of mind for me. And I I, I believe that to be true, actually, because I look at my career since uh, I started in school so many years ago, Art Center in 2005, and I've had a lot of career shifts and changes, both, you know, external and internal, right? With the market crashing in 2009, me starting my own business somewhere in there and failing, uh, me freelancing for a couple of years and then going from intern to staff to uh, ultimately creative director at Blind and then transforming to a content creator at the future. Like I've had so many shifts in my short time being a creative professional. And the one thing that I could point to is the persistence in all of that. When, uh, let me give you some examples. I was giving this example to Chris the other day. Um, when I was in school at Art Center, I was with a bunch of my buddies there. And it was 2006 and seven as we were graduating and times were amazing, right? The market was amazing. And what we were doing, which was mostly motion design at that point, was like the hottest thing in, in TV advertising. So there was more work out there than there was talent. And we decided to start our company. We were just young kids, didn't know what we were doing, didn't know how to run a business. But we decided just because it was so exciting, we had to capture that. So we started our business. Uh, we went all in and it was a really fun ride for two years. 
And that was also coinciding with the market crash. And we learned very quickly by getting punched in the face about all the things we didn't know about running a business. So even through that, uh, even going all in and, and starting our own business and failing, you know, I went back to freelancing and, and kind of starting from square one, learning from other studios, going to other studios and learning all the things that I didn't know, trying to understand what I needed uh, in terms of being a creative professional so that I could grow and things like that won't happen to me again. So I bounced around a lot. I spent a lot of time freelancing at Blind with Christo and observing how they had gone through the... Uh, the market recession and how they were changing what they were doing. So just learning there and being a sponge in wherever I went was a highly, uh, I think was a, a big proponent as to why I was able to get all the opportunities that I have and find the success that I have is because not only was I persistent in going to, to these places and learning, but I was a sponge. I was there to learn. So everybody that I sat next to as a freelancer, everybody that I worked next to, I was there with an open mind with lots of curiosity. So I see them working on stuff, even though it's not on the same projects. And I would lean over and ask like, hey, how did you do that? That's so amazing. Yeah. And I would I would genuinely be that way. And I would just they would just spill their guts out to me and show because, you know, first of all, they were happy that I took interest in them. And second, um, they love to share and they love to, to teach and being around a community and people like that also made me do the same and reciprocate that to others. So, you know, uh, just being in that environment and being very persistent and, and very curious allowed me to absorb a lot of information quickly and uh, allowed me to learn very quickly over the, the many years that uh, I was freelancing. Yeah, Matt, I think that that makes like the career is super, your career path is super interesting. I think, you know, a lot of designers persistence is like a really like important, you know, soft skill to have a lot of the community that follows us, you know, some of the people are, you know, want to be designers or pursue design careers. And it, you've kind of had multiple different roles, you've been trained in multiple design, you know, principles. Can you just give an overview if someone wanted to be a creative director, like what what would be the best skills to focus on? So like for UX designers, one thing that like, I, you know, as a UX designer on my end, like I always focus on like, you know, skills and the process, you know, making sure you're understanding your end users, you know, really getting good at the core tools that can make up to like, you know, prototype and test and then, you know, ultimately be flexible, iterate and be a strong communicator. So like, that's like, I think there's some, there's multiple skills that kind of span across mo most design careers, but a creative director, I think is, is a, is a fairly interesting, uh, title. And I've seen it vary a ton from, you know, uh, from organization to organization. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what your role looks like as a creative director at Blind and really kind of, you know, I, I guess the question I'm really getting at is how do you spend your day? Right. So I think the first part of that, the, you're right, a creative director, the titles vary from organization to industry. It's different all the time, but at least for what we do in our company, uh, a creative director really is a good shepherd. He's the person that is both the shepherd for the internal team and for the client to guide that team to the end goal. You know, like keep them safe along the, uh, along the way, keep them fed along the way, but also uh, providing guidance and direction so that we are all heading in the right direction. 
So I, I think uh, the key skill that I've found that I've had to develop over the years that I didn't inherently have to begin with was learning how to communicate very well. So what that really means is that I'm sitting in between the client and my team. And what's happening is the client comes to us and has a goal that they're trying to accomplish. For me, it's my job to understand what's getting in the way of them accomplishing their goals. Uh, once I understand the challenge, I could recommend some solutions. But from those solutions, I'm also trying to figure out what it exactly is going to achieve those solutions. So, you know, I'm building a strategy, I'm building a game plan to execute against, and I'm translating all of these things that the client is telling me, and I'm turning that into action items for my team so that it's very clear for what they need to do. Because if I were to just record exactly what the client is saying and then pass that along to the team, they would have a pretty wide interpretation of where what they need to do in order to accomplish that goal. So my primary goal in that uh, situation when we're kicking off projects is to be the translator, is to understand what it is that the client wants. And then I could turn that into action items for my team to execute on. And then throughout the process of any project, I'm just course correcting and guiding along the way, making recommendations and trying to keep uh, the, the flock or the crew kind of going in the, the same direction until we reach our goal. I've, I've watching a whole bunch of your other interviews, uh, Matthew, and communication always comes up as number one. And you always mentioned the translator. And I think, you know, for... Uh, you know, just going into, I think, some of your other interviews when you talk about the transition between maker and creative director is totally different in regards to um, the soft skills that are required. And I feel that, um, you know, for some people who are trying to make that transition, some people that have I've had conversations with, they feel as if they haven't re really been able to. Um, you know, find situations where they can learn those communication skills and become a translator. What do you really prescribe or how would you be able to sum up? Or if someone were to ask you, you know, Matthew, you know, I'm a great technical uh, maker. How can I gain the skills of being a creative director? How do I become that shepherd? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it, I kind of developed this, because of my curiosity. So if you are in a maker position and you, let's say you are working under some type of manager or creative director or art director, usually you're in the position where they are telling you the orders, what to act on. Here, I need these three things by the end of the week, right? They're, you're just getting the, the direction, hopefully super clear. At any point, what you might do to understand what's going on in their head and to develop your own communication skills is you could always take a step back when you get these types of uh, direction or orders. So you might say something like, okay, I, I understand you want me to do these three things by the end of the week, but before we get there, may I ask what's motivating this? Where is this coming from? So that whatever I end up creating, I know that it's going to be valuable to you and the client. I just want to make sure it's very clear. So you can start picking that apart, especially whenever it's unclear. I know there's a lot of uh, creative directors out there who probably haven't developed those same communication skills, and they might throw out some <laughs> some bad direction, in, 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 at least in, in my sense where, you know, and I've done this in the past, I've been guilty for this. It's like, no, you know, I just want this to be super energetic and fun. 
and then that would be the direction and I'd walk away. Yeah, just give me give me uh, a piece by the end of the week. Gone. Right? And then the designer would be scratching their head like, so wait, what? What do they want? And then they would make that thing because they assume or they have their gut reaction or feeling of what um, epic or energetic might look like and they make that. And then at the end of the week when the creative director comes to check in, they are totally misaligned and they have to show that to the client. It's totally misaligned. And the problem is no one spent the time to get clarity in terms of, well, what, what did that mean exactly? What's the intent behind that? What's motivating it? And what does that look like? Because a lot of people like to use these um, the coded language or, or language that sounds really good, that's just jargon, but there's no concrete meaning to it just because language is limited and sometimes you have to unpack the meaning into more uh, more concrete examples. So what I would do when I hear this from clients, and you could practice this too if you're a designer hearing this from your creative director, is when you say, I want this to be energetic, what does that look like to you? Do you have an example in mind? Is it how it's how the colors uh, are looking? Is it the editorial pace of this thing? What, what does that mean when you say energetic? And then they'll have the, they will describe. And even that might not even be clear. It's like, oh, you know, I, I want it to be uh, like a movie trailer. You know, like th those things are always energetic. A follow-up question might be, what movie trailer? Do you, does something come to mind from there? And then when you, you dig in deeper, you say, okay, what about that movie trailer do you like? Is it the titles? Is it how uh, the color grading on there? Is it the cutting? Is it the motion graphics in there? What is it? So you can practice these skills where whenever you hear something unclear or whenever you hear a word that you just get very excited to uh, act on, right? Like, oh my gosh, my creative director said it's an open creative brief and they just want me to make it rad. It's like, wait a minute, stop. Curb your excitement, detach yourself from the, uh, the excitement there for a second and let's get super objective and super clear. What does rad mean? <laughs> What does that look like? What exactly do you want me to create? So you, you can start getting, I mean, it sounds a little annoying, you know, if you deliver that wrong, but just operate on a sense of uh, curiosity and helpfulness. Like you just really want to understand uh, what it is that they want and you want to be helpful so that whatever you're making is going to be useful for everybody so that you don't have friction down the line where you're making something that nobody wants and, uh, you know, ultimately people are not happy with because it's not effective. Yeah. And I mean, the way that I would, I, I think that was like a really great breakdown. And I, I think what you kind of explain there is like any time you're working with a new client or company, like that's a really good framework. You know, the main takeaways, just to summarize, we're like, you know, asking clarifying questions. There's a lot of overblown language in design in, in particular. So kind of really bringing everyone to the same, you know, playing field, I think is a, is a great suggestion. The other thing that you kind of hit on is like having as much empathy as possible for like, you know, who's actually who you're making it for, what's the end output, who's the audience. And then the other piece is that there's typically going to be different stakeholders. So you really want to make sure that everyone's on the same page, you know, before before proceeding. So those are just like I, I couldn't agree more with those, Matthew. I think that was like an awesome, awesome breakdown. I want to change gears like just a bit because you hit on something earlier that I, I, I it really kind of struck a nerve with me and I want to circle back to. Um, you mentioned, you know, you were, you went from you at one point in your career, you're an, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you went freelance and you started a company. It sounds like, you know, it didn't go as planned. And I think one of the best things it, uh, that I love about the design community and, you know, most designers 
at some point in their career start to appreciate this is celebrating failure. And I, I don't mean that in like kind of like a, like a corny way, but in the, in the fact where like your failures truly do help point you to future successes so you don't make that same mistake again. So my question to you is, if you were to start that business again, if you could just give us like an elevator pitch of what it was, I'm assuming it was just like very similar to your role now, but what was that job? And if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, I want to attack the first part of that, which is celebrating the failure. So uh, the company that I started, the name was Born. I started it right out of school with my buddies and we were all motion designers. So it was a motion design studio, and we were serving primarily uh, uh, commercial agencies, working for TV commercials and, and content around that. So because we were, we thought, badass animators, we decided to start our company. Uh, we made some really good work for two years, um, but because that failed, because the economy punched me in the face and made me realize all the things I didn't know about business, it m humbled me dramatically. Because coming out of school, I was a cocky little punk. You know what I mean? Like I was at the top of my class. I had an amazing portfolio. The world was my oyster. And um, that was good for me for, for that moment because, you know, I, I aspired to do big things. I had big ambition. And that gave me a lot of drive to do stuff like start my own company. But because I failed so, so bad and it was kind of a, a painful thing because it was very public that, you know, all my friends and peers knew that I started a company. And then now I would be two years later saying that I had closed that company. It makes me feel terrible. But that humbled me so much because it made me realize and appreciate all of the other studios that have been around for a long time that have had longevity and made me curious, like what made them so successful and what did I do wrong? And so then that that kind of reframed everything and made me look at all, when I was freelancing at different studios as another learning opportunity. Let me see what I can absorb from this company culture and their business for um, why they are so successful and the people around me. So that was part one, just understanding the the failure, celebrating that because that did help me significantly. And it changed my attitude and framing of, of the industry. The second part was, what would I do if I had to start over? That's, uh, that's a loaded question only because I, I still have a little bit of scar tissue from that experience that I don't know if I would necessarily want to start my own company. I feel very good uh, operating as a number two at a company, just being behind the scenes and really um, getting behind uh, a visionary leader to, to execute very well. So I'm okay with being number two. I don't know if I want the full responsibility of running my own business. So I'm not. Yeah, I meant, it, I, I meant it more as like if you could go back in time, oh, you know I what see. I mean? And like start it again and then like yeah. the company would be exponentially more successful. Like what would that tweak be? Oh man, just stay small. We started with six people and that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right out the that box. That was stupid. That was, that was the dumbest thing. And I remember I, I called Chris Doe for some, a little bit of consulting right after we started the business. I was like, hey man, yeah, so we started our business because he was uh, referring some work to us, uh, smaller work that uh, Blank couldn't take on. And he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? So you guys decided to start, huh? I was like, yeah. He's like, how many of there are you guys? Oh, there's six of us. And then he got quiet and he's like, what do you mean there's six of you guys? It's like, uh, that's a lot of mouths to feed. You, you realize that, right? I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, right? So if I were to go back and give myself advice, it's like, dude, before you start the company, really think about it. 
don't start so big, even though they're all your buddies, they don't all have to be partners and uh, just operate as low overhead as possible. And we were, you know, we we're coming out of college. So we still had that mentality that like the, the ramen mentality where, you know, we could eat super cheap, we could do everything super cheap, and we didn't have expensive taste yet. So that part was all right. But the fact that we had just gone all in, did very little research on really how to run a successful business, we spent zero time studying other businesses. Um, that would be another bit I would say is like, dude, do a little research first before you get into this, because it's not all about making cool work. The The moment you open a company, 90% of your time is spent on operating the company, not making cool work. Yeah. So those are all hard lessons that I had. Yeah, to no, learn those are those are great. I, I, I just and I'll just quick summary of those. Like, I think the ones that I got from that, you know, be agile, learn from your mistakes we like i like the term like being scrappy kind of making things happen it sounds like you definitely were doing that at the time mm-hmm. something else you mentioned which i totally agree with is like if you're going to do it be there be 100% go all in on the endeavor so mm-hmm. i think that was great starting small i think is probably the biggest learning that you had you probably started with too many people mm-hmm. i think a lot of people do that cuz they want to hedge their bet and like reduce the risk mm-hmm. and then the last was you know research uh, before you dive into a new business venture, which makes a ton of sense, obviously. But Brendan, yeah. I know you had a really good question, so I'll let you. I'll let you jump in here, buddy. No, actually, I was like, I, I forgot where we were going <laughs> because I was so engr- engrossed. I was like, damn, we we should just f all the questions I sent you, Matthew. These are the new ones. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever you want, man. Um, yeah. So I I really so since we just recap that, and since we're already in the past. You know, I really wanted to, and you've talked a, a lot, you actually have a talk on this, particularly one of the TEDx talks that you've done, you know, starting before you're ready. Since we're talking about, you know, the past, really what, how you would start in regards to if you were to do it over again. So mm-hmm. with this message that, um, you know, really resonated with me in the, when I was watching the video is, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of what you learned when you were starting before you're ready, one of the things that uh, you were talking about during this talk was, what you were pitching, not only this example where you're talking about if you were to go back again and, and start a company from day one, things you would do, mm-hmm. and really how you started that in the first place, you were just like, you know, fuck it, I'm a, me and six other people are going to go and try this. We don't know, but we're going to just go and do. And I think yeah. that really ties into what you were saying. Your your number one superpower is persistence, um, you know, just mm-hmm. tying it back to that. So with the starting before you're ready, you know, back then and now, which tell us a little bit about what it was like when you were working with Coldplay and you were just like, I'm the biggest badass. I'm going to talk to you and pitch some shit that doesn't even exist. And I'm going to make it happen. Tell us and walk us through that story because I can't tell it better than you can. Um, yeah. Give us a little bit of context in regards to what happened, what you did and how you made it happen. For sure. And just to recap our audience, uh, I did a talk at TEDx Cal State Long Beach and it was called Start Before You're Ready. And I just told the story of how I pitched my idea to Coldplay for an interactive music video, but I didn't know how to even create it. So that the story there was that we, uh, I was working at Blind as a creative director, and uh, we had some connections to the one of the creative directors over at Coldplay, the band, like one of their managers, and they had reached out to us and said, hey, we're looking for director's treatments for a new music video, and it was for Ink. So everybody in the company pitched on it, like me, Greg Gunn, and uh, Chris Doe, we all tossed our names into the hat, just 
come up with an idea. It was completely open brief. The open brief is both a blessing and a curse for creatives. Creatives think that they want an uh, open creative brief, but the thing is when it could be (laughs) anything, it could be everything, and that doesn't help narrow down anything at all. Really, the limitations are what makes you creative. But aside from that, so I had this blank sheet in front of me, and it could be anything for Coldplay, one of my favorite bands growing up. And I was scared as <laughs> scared as heck, man. I was like, dude, I, I want to impress these guys. I love their work. I respect them as artists, and I want to make sure that whatever I present to them is going to be is going to be amazing, right? It's it lives up to their work. So. I started putting some stuff together after a couple of days and I wasn't into it at all. I looked at it, I read over my treatment and it was like, dude, this is this is bad. This is whack. This is generic. This is lame. And then I almost bowed out. I had this amazing opportunity. I almost bowed out because I got in my own way because I thought that I wasn't good enough and that I, you know, I, my ideas were not good enough for them, somebody that I had idolized. And then that's when my EP had pulled me aside and he's like, you know, he's just, he's trying to get as much in front of them as possible. And he's like, uh, dude, what, what are you doing? Like, why don't you, you got to put something in front of them. And I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't think so. I'm not going to put anything good in front of them. You know, I'm not going to put anything in front of them if it's not amazing. And that's what I was telling him. He's like, no, you're going to regret it, man. This is Coldplay. This is going to be so dope. This is going to be so amazing. Don't, don't regret this moment. So I went back to the drawing board, I scrapped my idea, and then I started just brainstorming ideas. And I was scouring the internet, looking at all kinds of new emerging technology. And on the market, there was a couple of different interactive style music videos. They're all very early technology. But I thought, you know what? That technology's out there. I bet we could do it. So I started crafting this idea. I started pulling some references, and I just wrote a treatment uh, saying that we would make this interactive uh, music video where it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure type of bit where you would go through the music video and in certain junctions you would make a decision for the character that we're following in there and every decision you make alters the course of the story, the experience you see in the music video until you get to the end and you have a unique ending. So that's what I pitched. I sent off the treatment and Nothing quiet silence i didn't hear anything back from them and i was like oh crap they they hate it (laughs) this is this is dumb like i tried you know this is a hail mary whatever it's 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 over (laughs) we lost the super bowl guys uh so that's what it felt like and then i think it was maybe two and a half or three weeks out got a phone call it's like uh yeah hey um yeah so we saw matthew's treatment um let's get started when can we go and I was like, what? I already wrote myself off. You know oh what I mean? I, re- I was like, this, w- I was like, it's done, whatever. And I gave up on myself. But then they're like, all right, let's do it. And they were so hyped. And then Love I was it. like, oh, crap. Now I got to figure out how to make this thing. <laughs> and that's what I spent the next six weeks on is trying to figure out how to make an interactive music video. So, of course, Google was my friend. I started researching a ton. I started making calls to all of my developer friends. I hit up everybody on LinkedIn that I knew was a developer. It's like, hey, I got this crazy idea, guys. Um, What do you think? Do you think you can help me make this? And my developer friend's like, yeah, you know, you could use this technology, this and that. And, um, yeah, that technology should be ready in a couple of years. 
And I was like, what? What do you mean in a couple of years? I, I need to make this like now, <laughs> like in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I, I was going down my, my Rolodex and then eventually I had found this other uh, creator or this other interactive music video for, shoot, I, for, I forget the name right now. Maybe we'll add this into the show notes later. But I found the creator of one of these music videos that was interactive. So I reached out to them and I figured out the, uh, the development company behind them. And it was this uh, platform called Treehouse. I, can, I reached out to them. I name dropped. I was like, hey, I'm working on this music video for Coldplay. Would love to partner with you guys. Uh, let me know if you're interested. And they hit me back up within a couple of days. We got on the phone and they were the perfect partner. So within, you, you know, within a week, I, I was able to figure out the right partner and we were able to go. And then for the next five weeks, we were just jamming on that project. And, uh, and then, yeah, we were, we were working on it for a couple of weeks. Coldplay came in halfway through. They're ready to look at the work in progress. And again, is this this uh, tipping point for me because I was so excited there. I've idolized them all my life. And now I'm ready to present something that represents their own artistic work. So, uh, I, you know, I sat down, Chris Martin sat down and I started playing this half-baked interactive music video that was still work in progress. So nervous. And about 30 seconds in, he said, stop. I've seen enough. And right there, I kind of just, my heart sank a little bit. It's like, oh, crap. This is it. <laughs> he hates it. We got to yeah. start over. This is the nuclear button right here. And then he said, I, I love it. When is it going to get done? And right there, we stopped the, We stopped playing the music video. I was like, you know, we'll, we'll just finish this over the next three weeks. And then that was it. They, they had no more feedback, no feedback. And we finished the music video three weeks after that. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's incredible. I'm, yeah, gonna, like, <laughs> I'm definitely gonna have to go rewatch that because that the spark notes version of that story is incredible so i can't imagine hearing all the additional detail that's that's awesome though yeah and the funniest part i was watching this this week in another interview you did you said after you guys showed uh coldplay the the you know just the prototype of what you guys were doing you guys were then showing him around the office and then he was like yeah yo is that a tablet well he didn't even know it was a tablet he went over someone was <laughs> using a tablet and he was like yeah, yo what is that? What is? And then you guys were like, uh, it's a wh Wacom tablet. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it was so funny. Of all the things, like we're trying to show off the office, all the work in progress, like all the sketches and concept art we were making, and who's into it? And then he saw one of our artists drawing on a Wacom uh, tablet with his pen, and he's like, oh my gosh! So when he draws on that thing, it just shows up on the screen. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a that's a Wacom tablet. And he's like, oh, that's so amazing. Of all the things that he would get blown away by, he gets blown away by that. And I was like, all right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. Well, <laughs> that's just how bomb you guys are. Just you know, yeah. just exceeding expectations with Wacom tablets, guys. Yeah. In addition, so I I really liked how you really framed that, and I'm I'm kind of you know things that really from that story I pulled out of, and what I see, um, and a lot of you know just anybody you know it has to start with a belief. 
you know, outside of technical skills and really um, from a fundamental standpoint. And I'm going to keep going back to your persistence, um, how we started the, the talk today and really you know, in the mm-hmm. beginning of this, you're already a very technically inclined person. You know this internally, but because you were somewhat starstruck, and this happens on the day-to-day, regardless of who you are, there's always challenges that you are comfortable with and then things that exceed, um, you know, what we're comfortable with, and that gives us mm-hmm. a little bit of internal hesitation. But um, what I think is really mm-hmm. important, you went from the belief of I wasn't good enough to, you know, switching to a different positive belief of I bet we could do X, yeah and yes <laughs> that is something that is taught um it's either taught or innate i think this comes from a very competitive type person because uh, as we talked in the beginning yeah. before we started um and ryan as well you know i'm i'm not i'm all of us are pretty like in our line of work it is competitive and that's something that's built in you know but mm-hmm. sometimes i see some people where they get stuck at the i'm not good enough what mm-hmm. voice or what did you, whether it was that other, you know, coworker, your other, you know, partner, or was it in your environment? Do you think by yourself you would be able to be like, get to, I'm not good enough to, I bet I could do it? Or do you think it was your environment or some type of internal voice that really tr- helped you translate from, I'm not good enough to, I bet this could happen? Is it an environment or is it something that you've built over time through discipline internally? You know, I think I've been very fortunate to have really good support around me all my life. Even as a young child, my uh, family members, my relatives, they were all supportive of my creative and artistic endeavor. So hats off to them. I owe so much to them. And I don't realize that until you reflect back, right? Until I've reflect back and see how much support they've been giving me. And I think throughout my life, I've been around people. That's why I say I, I feel pretty good as a number two. Like I'm not I'm not necessarily the visionary person. I know that about myself. But when I find somebody who has an amazing idea, sometimes I just want to help them make that thing, whatever that that is, whether that's Chris Doe helping to build him the the future or that's with my partners at uh, school starting our own company. I'm just there to help support uh, that people. And because I've had fantastic experiences in my life where, you know, I've, I failed and then I've persisted, I failed and then persisted. There's a pattern there that I see. It's like, well, you know, if you just try some, some things, <laughs> you'll get rewarded. And over time, what I've realized is you can look at any opportunity and either focus on all the things you have to lose, or you could focus on all the things you have to gain. That's really up to you. And I think in the moments where I'm focusing on, all the things I have to lose, those are the all the moments that I didn't take a chance because I was afraid of what I might lose or what might happen to me. But whenever I was able to look at the same situation or a different situation with the mindset of, well, look what we have to gain if we take this chance. If I take this chance right now, here's what I have to gain. So that Coldplay story is a good example where at the beginning of that, I was looking at the things I have to lose, embarrassment, Um, You know, just not doing a good job for somebody that I really uh, looked up to into, you know what, this is a big opportunity. This is something where I can make something pretty amazing. So I have to go all in on that. So I just flipped the switch. It's the same exact situation. The only thing that changes my perception of it and what was going on in my mindset. So that is something that I've been fortunate to have enough experiences in my life to, to recognize, to pause and become a little self-aware of where I'm at in terms of my my confidence in terms of approaching uh, 
some type some type of risky situation and and learning that you know what if you just focus on the things that could go right uh, that's a much better uh, more optimistic way to approach it because at least you'll try and when you try you will get rewarded definitely and just to recap that and then we'll I'm move inspired. on to the next i don't know about oh. like i'm like ready to like <laughs> i don't know i feel like i'm ready to go <laughs> Today I mean, is Friday, I mean, you know, it's we're like, launching it, it, into the weekend. Yeah, it's like a perfect like like you should listen. This is gonna be like my new pregame music. Like right. I'm, just, I'm amped. But uh no, I just wanted to say real quick, like I love the motif like throughout this entire podcast. Like you you took calculated risks, some of them worked, some of them them you know did it, but like I love the idea that like you're just someone that like you know rolls the dice and like when you do it you go all in. Super inspiring, and I think like you've been art- been able to articulate it better than than most people. So, thank you. Just just love love loved hearing that story. Yeah, thank definitely. You. And we'll move on to the next bit, Ryan. I know I'm <laughs> our tongues are tripping up. We're like, we just want let's talk to Matthew. <laughs> 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 yeah, just to sum it up for you guys, you know the real things, and, and I think this always just touches back with my martial arts background. Is you know I love digging into someone's environment someone's sense of self and then you know their number one superpower and for you guys one thing that i typically love to talk about and sometimes people aren't really cognizant of is environment Um, matthew Mm -hmm. talked about he's had that great support system and he's been fortunate enough to have that whether it be his parents his partners etc and i believe you know it's extremely important to surround yourself with like-minded people or people Mm -hmm. you want to be um, because you know you're one of five, meaning you're one of the five people you're most around, most likely around all the time. And mm-hmm. to be able to craft, whether you're not, uh, you know, already in an environment you absolutely love, craft that for yourself. So when you find yourself in these situations of non-belief, your environment can help you translate that non-belief into belief so that you can be mm-hmm. self-aware to start doing what your superpower is, which in Matthew's case is to persevere and to push on through his endeavors. So while my tongue is hairy and I'm going to drink, take a drink of water. <laughs> Ryan, run us through the next bit of questions. Yeah, no, I mean, like Matthew, like I think the other thing that like Brendan and I try to talk about is, you know, design careers. We love it. That's what we're passionate about. But we also like talk a little bit about we've in our previous you know interviews and episodes, we've been talking more about like life balance. Like what do you do outside of work? How do you balance your work? Um, and what do you do in your free time? So just a little bit like more on the personal level. Yeah, on you know those all of those things blend quite a bit. I they overlap quite a bit, and I'm sure you hear this from a lot of people where that line is blurry because it's not really a line that you are either in one side or the other, but it's actually a nice blend of overlapping momentum. So for me, if you look at extracurricular stuff that <laughs> you know isn't necessarily uh, tied to what I do on a day-to-day basis for my work and my career. I, I love being active. You know, I have been rock climbing for many, many years. So I love bouldering. Um, uh, I've been training in uh, mixed martial arts for the past couple of years, did a little bit of Krav Maga, did a little Muay Thai, did uh, mostly boxing now for the past couple of years. And that's been super fun. Um, for 17 years of my life, I was uh, a b-boy, uh, breakdancing, uh, competing on like at big international competitions and that i didn't was think it fun. was possible to get any cooler but you just keep <laughs> up in the bar we need a larger intro guys we need a larger intro <laughs> <laughs> to add that to the intro 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all of those things, I feel like they're creative in their own ways, right? If you look at rock climbing and bouldering, that's problem solving. You're looking how to get to the top. And they literally call the things you climb problems. So you're looking for ways to solve it. And it's different for every single person and body type. With any type of uh, mixed martial arts or sports combat, it's all about discipline, right? You're try you. Everybody starts at the same level. Everybody's a freaking white belt. Everybody's a noob at some level, and you have to respect the process and and take the necessary steps and practice your ten thousand punches before you get that right. Before you can actually start doing something right with that. And then the uh, b boy aspect of it, because I grew up with that starting in high school, like that took me out of my shell because I was an introverted nerdy video game playing kid and you know like 90 pounds like super scrawny kid and being introduced to that hip-hop culture that competitive nature of b-boying and expressing yourself and putting yourself out there in front of sometimes hundreds of people to watch that that takes a lot of balls and I didn't have that to begin with but it's something that uh, was nurtured in me over time um, so that was something that helped uh, sharpen my my edge in terms of uh, my competitiveness because it's a very competitive uh, uh, kind of natured sport, a uh, dance. And also it's helped me build camaraderie around the people that I practice and dance with and, and have met over the years. And also it's just something that, I, I don't know, it's it, it's a very humble culture. I mean, it's it's from the outside, it looks like it's just a bunch of cocky dudes who are just getting angry and dancing at each other. But at the same time, you know, it's like it's it's uh, it's uh, it's this universal language that you speak because I've, I've traveled a lot uh, dancing with other people from Japan, from the Philippines, Korea and all these people. We don't always speak the same language, but when we dance, we understand each other. So there's this community that you build, this empathy that you build for other people, both uh, as a respect and a humble connection to these people. So uh, all these life experiences have uh, kind of added up and overlapped with all the things that I'm doing now as a creative director, as a content creator, as an educator at the future. And all of this stuff has has uh, built up to to keep me super sharp in the creative field. That's almost like you know, Will Will Smith says, lay that one brick at a time. You were like stacking skills from rock climbing, physical problem solving, <laughs> to mixed martial arts, the discipline, and uh, the b-boy, the competition, and self-expression. So I'm going to throw that uh, little quote in there. <laughs> but I, I do think that more and more often, people are trying to blend their personal life and their careers. So I, I do find yeah. that, like, I really hope that trend continues. And it sounds mm -hmm. like from what I've heard and you know, watching the future and, and hearing the people talk, like, I feel like that's kind of the culture that's being built there. And I, mm -hmm. I wanted to like end on kind of like, or not end, but like, I wanted to get your, I guess we're, you know, how would you describe your current like culture of future? And also like, what do you guys have store in 2019? Like any other big endeavors that you personally, or, you know, from the future standpoint that you guys have planned? Right. So just for the audience, just in case they don't know, The Future is a content and education company. Um, we're mostly known for our YouTube channel. The if You could find us at The Future is here. But we are about 430 some odd thousand subscribers right now. And we teach uh, creative entrepreneurship. And that has been a very interesting project for us because for the longest time, 
uh, we've been working as Blind. Blind is a creative services business where we do brand strategy and we execute creative campaigns for clients. So it's client services. Over the past four or five years, Christo, the founder of both companies, has been transitioning us to a content creation and an education company. So it just started off a very humble, small channel of a few thousand people that followed us, mostly followed him. And then over time, he started that channel started growing. He started bringing people from blind over to the future. He put me in front of the lens and st- told me to teach. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, you guys, you have to make content for the channel. I was like, why? I'm, I'm not you. I, I'm not an educator. I'm not a teacher. I have nothing special about me. And he said, no, you stop. <laughs> First of all, you got to realize, just turn the lens on yourself. You spent a lot of time and money to get to the position you are at right now. Don't you think that's special? Don't you think that's valuable to somebody else? And can't you share a little bit of that with 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 other people? And because he opened me up like that, I started making content for the channel, teaching what it is that I know. The first video was awful, um, especially for me. I had to record that probably 20 times because of uh, my, the, my nature of being competitive, getting it right, uh, being a little bit of a perfectionist coming from the advertising world because I had that that feeling and then over time you know i realize the more and more I record the more and more i teach the more and more i master my own process master my own skills because i have to teach that in bite-sized ways to other people and over time i got more comfortable uh speaking being in front of camera um and summarizing my thoughts in a way that might be um inspirational or impactful for another person so that's something that i had to develop over the years and that's intrinsic in the culture at blind in the future since chris he was actually my instructor back in school back in 2006 and he was actually an instructor for many of the people that have gone through the doors of blind so because he's an educator and he loves education he loves design and this new company this new endeavor the future is that his superpower it's the thing that's allowed him to combine all of his stuff so because we're in that environment this culture of constantly learning constantly improving and just sharing what you know uh, more transparently and generously that has developed uh, a, a bigger part of me that i didn't know i had in terms of being an educator and sharing and realizing that there's so much more gratification helping other people than it is helping yourself or helping any one client because even though I loved working on all the client stuff, it was only one at a time. And it's for a big company versus what I get uh, when I create a piece of content and I see thousands of responses on it. Like, oh my gosh, you don't know how helpful this was for me. Thank you so much. I don't get exposed to this in my community. Oh, I can't afford private design school. Or thank you so much for telling me how to deal with clients. Like all this stuff over and over and over every single day. That's infinite, infinitely more gratifying than any uh, client project could ever be. Because it makes me feel good that I'm helping other people level up and helping them achieve their goals and dreams uh, pursuing a creative life so that's the culture that we have uh, at the future and that's one thing that's been um, uh, cultivated inside of me and I hope to continue to cultivate that in the new people that come through the doors and the the other lives that we reach through uh, all of our content yeah I I mean I'm just kind of like I was 
taking some notes here on uh, the, the culture that you're describing is everything that you would want in a company where you're personally energized, you're giving back, you feel like there's a community that's getting value from what you're creating. Mm-hmm. And the fu- and I think you summarized it the best at the end. The future is really a, a channel, a community, a company that is built to level up your career. So yeah. I, I, I mean, Brendan and I are obviously big fans. We've been watching for a while, but I just wanted to say a huge congrats to how much growth you've had. I know you've been one of the biggest catalysts to help make that happen. I think I speak on behalf of a lot of the design community that like we love what you do and we really hope that you continue to make, you know, that this that incredible content. Yeah, that's it's been a very fun ride. And the, the great thing about that is that we've been able to build a business around that. So not only are we able to help people and do what we love doing. So for the past couple of years, we've been running two companies, right? We've been running blind, serving our clients. And then in whatever free time we have, we're making content for the community and growing that channel. The beautiful thing about that is um, we start to develop a business around that, creating more products around what we do, you know, finding sponsors for the things that we do. So now we're luckily in a fortunate position where we're getting paid to do more of the things that help other people. So it's it's actually gotten to a point where 2018 might have been the last year that we do any client service work because 2019 is here and we haven't taken on a single new client project. We're actually just been wrapping up mostly all the stuff from 2018 because this new company, The Future, has become our primary company. It's become so healthy and, and become self-sustaining in a sense we're not quite there yet you know we're we're not like rolling over tons of money or anything like that but it's it's at the point where we're getting to a break-even point and break-even is just the point where we need to be where now we could focus all in on that and really grow that company really grow that audience and serve a much bigger community so 2019 2020 is going to be very big for the future and just because we're firing on all cylinders now and everybody that was previously working at blind is now all over working at the future matthew thank you so much for the time but before we go um can you tell everyone where they can find you um on the interwebs any social media of choice anywhere that you would you know is the best place to find your work yeah, if you want to follow me, I'm, I'm most uh, active on Instagram and Twitter, but you'll find me pretty much on all social platforms at Matthew Encina. And uh, if you want to find out more about me or my work, you can go to MatthewEncina.com. If you want to learn more about the future, you can go to the future, there's no E there, dot com, thefuture.com, or you can find our YouTube channel at uh, The Future Is Here. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your hour of magnificent gem drops. Now that we know that you're going to introduce our new intro to your website, I feel special. No, <laughs> no but seriously, this is a lot of great content, and we're going to go ahead and, and really summarize. We're going to let you get back to um, your day, but we do hope that we've given you some energy to run into uh, the next meeting or finish that coffee because you have not taken a sip. You're like, my mouth is so fucking dry, guys. <laughs> yeah, but man, we just really appreciate your time, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me. And uh, this was so much fun, guys. All right. Yeah, thanks, Matt. All right, peace, man. Right. Have a good day, man. See ya. All right, guys. So that was Matthew and Cena. And, guys, we went over a lot of great bits, you know. 
starting off of really what's been the one thing that's been able to really drive him to be so successful and really where he is today in his career. And that's been the one thing that he said, which is perseverance. You know, on top of that, secondary is being a sponge and really learning how to learn and using your environment to soak up as much as you can to be able to get to that next level and gain as much knowledge to really put you up and help you level up in your career. So the three things that Matthew in this entire in uh, this entire interview, the three things that are very important for us are one, perseverance, really, you know, honing our discipline and two, making sure that we're being a sponge wherever we're going, making sure to pick up new skills uh, and really see, you know, what people are doing so that we can add those skill sets to our skill set and be able to move up where we want to go and push ourselves in the direction we want to go for our career. And three is environment. This is also extremely important. You are one out of the five people you are hanging out with. So one of the you know stories Matthew was telling us later later in this interview was that you know his environment helped him really hone in and change his belief system to where he didn't think he was good enough to finish a particular project or even you know send a pitch to uh you know Coldplay and then because of his environment and the people he you know worked with and they were go-getters competitive they pushed Matthew to course correct his belief system and believe that he could you know put something in front of Coldplay that was absolutely awesome so persistence be a sponge and environment are the main things and the main key things that we've talked about today so outside of that you know always be ready to just move forward with that persistence just go in dive in don't decide and figure out as you're moving along that persistence will help with that and you know just to recap when you were deep diving into what makes a great creative director we learned the framework or what we call the clarity framework from matthew which is you know when there's an open brief whether it be energetic and fun you really need to have clarity as a designer to really understand what exactly in a translation of specifically what the output of the design work or the deliverable is so he really said in order to become and put himself in a position where he could become a creative director he learned how to create the clarity out of an open brief so when a creative director asked him as the maker to make something energetic and fun he would then ask through curiosity ask for clarity what exactly does energetic and fun mean okay so he translated for himself what exactly the output and the deliverable needed to be so that is a breakdown of what he said was the main thing that has allowed him to be a, cre a successful creative director in his career today, which is communication and being that translator between his team and his client, making sure that he gives clarity to his team. So that is the number one, really two things to be cognizant of when you're trying to move in this direction with your career community or excuse me, communication and being a translator and gaining clarity through that communication. So next, we kind of went back into, you know, Matthew's past and really where he was, you know, just coming out of college and, you know, starting out his own design, um, motion design firm, really starting to do motion work for um, some great companies. And, you know, if he were to go back and start again, he would say, you know, start with a low overhead. As he said, he started out with a team of six. And he, as he said, Christo, his mentor at the time was saying, well, that's a very, there's a lot of mouths to feed. So he said, start with a low overhead and make sure that it's not just about making cool work. Because when you start really getting into client work, 
you're not just always going to be doing the utmost cool stuff. You're going to have to do things that you might not exactly love each and every day. So make sure low overhead and also don't get attached to making cool stuff every day. Next, the biggest thing that I absolutely really that absolutely resonated with me was the start before you're ready. You know, through his skill and superpower of perseverance, you know, we really talked about his story of really pitching Coldplay through you know, his interactive video and going through a process of he thought that through his previous belief that he wasn't going to be able to create anything of worth to put in front of Coldplay to through his environment being re-energized and being able to be like, you know what, I bet I could create something that Coldplay would love. And then actually through his superpower, being able to persevere and do the actual work, go out and find the experts that can actually make the work happen or be realized so guys the framework that i actually want you guys to you know adhere from this example is making sure that you set up the environment that will support you in your endeavors so that your belief system even when you're down you're not having a good day your support system in your environment can help support you get to where you want to go so as we talked with matthew matthew loved three things he absolutely loves rock climbing and bouldering mixed martial arts and b-boying as we said you know <laughs> as i said with the quote you know will smith said laying that one brick at a time and really stacking skills make sure that you guys have things in your life that you absolutely love and really add to um, the spice in your life such as you know matthew loved rock climbing bouldering mixed martial arts and b-boying and through mixed or through mixed martial arts that allowed him to gain discipline through rock climbing and bouldering, this allowed him to literally solve problems physically and also b-boying, which allowed him to grow the competitive side of him in addition to self-expression. So find things in your life that really help give you energy and find a way to tie, you know, what you're setting yourself up in your life. Find things that also energize you and help you build what you're trying to um, achieve in life. We're not saying find things that are absolutely uh, you know, only do things that are fun for you that help you with your uh, career. These are just things. Try to find things that you absolutely love to have that life balance. It's just in Matthew's case that he's used these things outside of work to also craft um, the very important skills that help him push forward in his career. The problem solving, the discipline and the competitive nature and self-expression outside of work. You know, doing the things that he absolutely loved have translated into his work life. So if you're looking to have a two birds with one stone approach, find things in your life you absolutely love to do, but give you skills that will help you push forward in your career goals. All right. So when we talked about what's next for Matthew, he's really talked about the content and the education side of the future. And what he absolutely loves about it is that, you know, Client work is absolutely satisfying, but what's even more satisfying is the impact and the gratification he feels out of educating other people. So finally, guys, where you guys can find Matthew is a couple places. We can find him at IG or on Twitter at Matthew and Cena. You can find his work at MatthewandCena.com. You can find his content, as he mentioned, at Matthew or excuse me, at TheFuture.com. And also, if you are interested in looking at the future or finding the future on Instagram or Twitter or any other social media, you can find them at the future is here. Awesome, guys. We're super excited to have more and more of these interviews with you guys. Until next time, guys, keep tuning into Design Huddle. Follow us on social media. 
Design Huddle is a podcast that is hosted by Ryan Warner and Brennan Gross. The opinions stated here are our own and not those of our company. Thank you for tuning in and please feel free to share this episode.